Your relationship with a customer doesn't stop the minute they become a customer. It actually only starts. And so it's about growing that customer base. And so some people think about ABX as what happens after the sale. Other people think about it. It's like, no, it's the entire experience of the relationship. You're listening to GTM Disrupted with Mike Smart of Egress Solutions. Learn how product management and product marketing thought leaders are rethinking their business strategies to thrive in a world of radical change. Hello, my name is Mike Smart and welcome to Go to Market Disrupted. Today I have a guest here, Adam Tarinas. Adam is a longtime technology marketing leader and entrepreneur. He spent two decades marketing for Dell, IBM and Bank of America, as well as other major companies. In 2012, he founded a health tech software business, which he scaled and had a successful exit. Next, Adam created Health Launchpad, a leading health tech marketing firm, which shows companies how to use account-based marketing, or ABM, in terms of driving their business forward. Adam is the author of a new book called Total Customer Growth which shares ideas on how to win and grow customers for life. Today, we're gonna talk about his book, related segmentation topics, and how companies are achieving outstanding results using the approaches outlined in the book. I am very pleased to have Adam with us. Adam, thank you for sharing some of your time, your experience, and your insight with us today. Mike, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It's exciting to be here. Glad to have you. You know, I gave a concise version of your bio, and I know that you have a wide range of experience. So would you please take a few minutes and just share a little more about your path with the listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So I kind of think my career could probably best be summed by asking questions, which is, why did you do that? So I started off, I, I, in college, I had my passion was biology and physiology. I got a degree in physiology. And then I went into advertising. So why advertising? It was the 80s. The TV commercials, particularly in the UK, were better, frankly, than what was on TV. It was all <laughs> I wanted to do. And I, you know, and I, I, was, I would bore people rigid, uh, all my friends. I was actually known as Adman, and, and, and it, was, it was sarcastic. And so I, I started in advertising in, in, in the UK in the 80s, which was the tail end of the Mad Men days. I then moved to Houston. So why would I move to Houston? Well, because I met the love of my life, Alice. I think we're celebrating our 35th anniversary this year. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Yes. Uh, as far as I like to say, I would have got less for murder. <laughs> no, right? We're, we, uh, we're very happily, happily married. And so she was uh, a lawyer practicing law in Houston. So I said, hey, I'm moving to Houston. I'm, I'm going to be with you. And I, I was lucky to join Ogilvy and Mather there. And that's where I first experienced to business to business working on Compact Computer, the long defunct computer company. Uh, now, I guess basically a sort of a residue of HP. And then got the digital bug, moved into the digital space in the mid 90s. Really fun. All the sort of time when everybody was figuring everything out. And one of the things I love most about digital was my biggest frustration, I think, with advertising was we make all these fantastic advertising campaigns. We're really proud of them. But to be honest, I had no idea if any of it worked. There was no real, real way of knowing with great certainties whether any of the advertising that we're creating was having the effect that we thought it was. 
sure, there was lots of research that backed it up, but yeah, did clients really believe it? Kind of, sort of. And then I kind of got to my uh, to the stage in stage of my life, which I think a lot of people reach in the agency business, which is you're in your forties and you're working in the agency business. And honestly, if you don't own the agency or if you're not running the agency, you are living on borrowed time. And I, you know, I ended up on the wrong end of a couple of uh, a couple of a couple of riffs. And so I, I was doing some consulting. And um, I started a healthcare business. So why healthcare? And it was kind of crazy because honestly, I had no healthcare experience. What happened was a friend of mine who is a doctor uh, started to ask me about the work that we were doing, to strategic work to help companies understand the strength of the relationships that they had with their clients. He said, you know, I think the methodology that you use would be very valuable in healthcare because the relationship between hospitals and their physicians is broken. And what I didn't really understand until he explained it to me is that essentially the physicians, particularly the primary care physicians, are the channel to market for patients to become patients of the hospital. So I was like, oh, actually, as a marketing person, that's actually quite interesting. I'd never really understood that. The economic model was completely different. It was just bewildering. Um, so I'm curious. I'm yeah. curious. What, what then, when you're in that situation, and we've all been in circumstances like that, uplift. I call it para jumping, para or fire jumpers. Right? You get you're given provisions enough to, and you the circumstances almost like push you out of a plane. And can you land down in this foreign environment and make sense out of it? What are you drawing on at that point in time? What are you pulling in based on history, experience, grit, whatever it is that lets you navigate through that? Because that's the company that you scaled and grew. So you must have figured out something really quickly. What was it? Well, I think what you draw on in that situation is, you know, one of the good things that you learn in advertising is to be, I think what David Ogilvy called a swan. Actually, I think he called it a trumpeter swan. But what I, I, the notion of a swan, which is that you look cool, collected, and in charge on the inside, <laughs> on the outside, but underneath the water, you are paddling like crazy. I've um, heard that called the ducks on the pond, right? Duck, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Cool, collected, <laughs> and just barely holding on. You're absolutely right. I think that that pretty much summed up. Uh, summed up. The, the other thing was, you know, a determination to learn. You know, I, I kind of took a bit of a scorched earth, earth policy with this business, which is, you know, I, 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 I was still initially doing the other business, but I just figured we're going all in on this. Well, and actually the, what happened was the consulting business then turned into a technology business because my partner, the physician and I had an idea for an application and we pitched that to one of our clients who was the CEO of a hospital. And he said, you build that, I'll buy it. And so we, we then went all in on that and we launched the application and we took it to market. And so I was sort of learning while doing, which is another thing that, you know, frankly, you know, one of the good things about being in the agency business is that you have to become an expert in a new industry every year. Sounds very similar to the consulting business. Ah, yes, exactly. <laughs> very, very similar to, exact, identical to consulting, um, identical to it. And so, you know, we, we had a really good run with the company. We, you know, went through all of the ups and downs of running a software startup, which I won't bore you with. But I would say the way I su sum it up was the first three years of running that business was the most exciting time in my career. 
the last three years were the worst. And mm-hmm. it just mm-hmm. really painful sort of shareholder issues, not having enough capital, competitive pressures. And, you know, the exit was moderately successful. And to be honest, sort of at the end, I think we were all kind of ready to get shot of it uh, and move on. Uh, but, you know, I'm actually proud to say that the product called Unify Health is still out there. It's still being used by physicians. And, you know, so there's a bit of a legacy there. So I, I'm proud I was going to say that sometimes when we keep score on these things, we have to stop and take the right score, right? Yeah. So I looked up the company. It's still viable. It's still doing business. Yeah. <laughs> and that is a successful exit, in my opinion. <laughs> Thank you. Let's shift and kind of talk about your book, a related topic. So your book outlines a holistic approach to doing account-based marketing or ABM. Talk about how you came to this. So it it was driven by a lot of pain that we went through with our software company. And and so, you know, ABM, account-based marketing, is primarily for companies that sell, have complex long sales cycles. And, you know, long can be as long as 90 days, as short as 90 days. In some cases, you know, multiple years. Um, yes. And market, it, it, we found it really hard to use marketing in an effective way. Early on, actually, I realized in, in retrospect that we were using some forms of account-based marketing. And that what I mean by that is that we had a very well, tightly defined set of accounts we call them goldilocks hospitals that were not too big not too small they were geographically right they 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 had the right tech stack they had an appetite for innovation so they were more likely to, to work with startups and we would qualify them through our discovery and through conversations to figure out whether we had a good chance of actually selling to them. And then we double down on them. And so we were actually practicing ABM and we're using social media, using LinkedIn to develop relationships. And then we got distracted and started, once we raised a bit of money, spending it on the wrong stuff, which was sort of, I won't even go into what it was, but <laughs> we, we lost the plot as far as I was concerned. And so I was, I, when I look back on it, you know, I'm, I'm frustrated at that. But I then started to understand more and more about ABM. And the thing about ABM is it's been around, it's in its third decade, and but is taking off because of technology. And the, the primary technology is the use of intent data, which is a far from perfect thing. Now, why? Why? what is intent data basically helps you identify who might be in market. And the reason why that's important, and you know, this is something that you know, I talked about in the presentation, is I believe that you know, if you do mass marketing in B2B, that the old, you know, the old, the old Wanamaker quote, which is that 50% of my advertising is wasted. I don't know what, which 50%. What 50% it is, yeah. that's right. Yeah, I think in, in, in complex sales, it could be as much as 90, 98%. And the reason, so, yeah. I want to yeah. amplify the, some of the points you're making. But you said something, you said a few things that I think warrant sort of steering back to center over. You're describing ABM as you use and apply it to your clients, but you're also using it to run your business. Fair. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 yeah. and I translate ABM as a mechanism of, I'll call it, fine-grained segmentation. Yeah, I'm glad you pushed on that, Mike, because 
you know, that one of the principles of ABM is you're targeting best fit customers. And so that sounds great. It sounds easy. It's like, well, why wouldn't you do that? But basically what you're making a decision to do is actually not market to quite a lot of the customers. So you might have a total available market of a thousand accounts that you can sell to. But with an ABM campaign, you may be making a decision that I'm actually only going to invest my marketing resources against a hundred of them. So you're placing a bet and that bet better be right. Otherwise, you might as well stick to sort of mass marketing to sort of figure out, you know, generate a bunch of leads and, you know, get people to call the leads and see if you can get some meetings. Adam, I find that intriguing for a guy who was an ad guy to come to this realization that you (laughs) refine and restrict and reduce your target base. And it's sort of like, you know, it's it's the old line about buckshot versus rifle shot. Your odds will go up from success from 0.0000%, to potentially 20, 25%. Right. That's counterintuitive for a lot of marketing people. It is, it is. Well, and the other thing, which is, you know, the the sort of the kind of blinding glimpse of the obvious that happens. And I say that because I only realized it when, when we started doing it is that you end up spending a lot less on your media budget because, you know, so we run, we use LinkedIn advertising. Uh, It's quite a large part of what we do. It's not all we do, but we do quite a lot of that. And the reason is, is that it makes it really simple to do an ABM advertising campaign because you list, you, 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 you have a select list of accounts, maybe 150 accounts. 750 very, million users on a platform probably isn't a isn't a turnoff either, right? Well, well, well that I mean that's why you use LinkedIn. But you know, yeah. you you take your list of accounts, you you load that up into LinkedIn's ad platform. You give them a very tightly defined set of titles, maybe tw- mm-hmm. you know ten to twenty titles max, and you know that means that your audience may only be a thousand people at at most. And so there's only so much money that you can spend against it. And in fact, one of the issues that we find is that we'll get, we'll run, we'll start running ads and we'll see LinkedIn uses engagement as their metric, which is not people just viewing the ads, but actually engaging, interacting with it, clicking through. Clicking through is actually a different part of it. Engaging is, is, you know, they actually spend enough time in the ad, ad that it's called an engagement. And what we see is that the engagement rates, because we're so precise, could be two, three, even four X what the baseline is when the ads start running. But you get wear out that you may have worn the ad out within two weeks because you're, you're advertising to such a small group of group of right. people. What the, the, it's interesting, the sort of buckshot versus rifle shot, because what happens is that, you know, what we're starting to do dynamically is, you know, we'll, we'll start with 100 accounts and then we'll get we'll see that, well, actually 20 of them are engaging. So let's just double down and we'll only advertise to those 20 and we start to target individuals. You, for example, with LinkedIn, you can actually do that. That happens in the background. You don't know who it's going to, but they're doing that for mm-hmm. you. And so you can get hyper precise. And what some of these ABM platforms allow you to do is, is like once, you, once you're generating leads and you know who some of these people are, you then start to target them, you know, one to one to one and, and, you know, you then run email sequences against them. So it's all about getting more, you know, you start broad, you narrow it down, make a bet. We're just going to market to these people. 
and then you actually winnow it down until you get to the so the, the group who appear to be in, in market and appear to be most interested in what you do. Egress Solutions is a high-touch product growth and market success consultancy. Since 2009, Egress Solutions has had successful engagements with the top technology organizations, delivering insights into buyer preferences, product market fit, product management, and go-to market excellence. Egress Solutions accelerates top-line growth and market success for our clients. Go to www.egresssolutions.net to learn more. You hit on something I do want to, I want to talk about, I want to press on a little bit, which is the implied fatigue level of potential ICPs, if you want to call them yeah. that, or buyer personas. And I'm intuiting, I may have this wrong, but I'm thinking that the concept that you talk about in the book, which is ABX, account-based experience, yeah. is a way to offset that fatigue factor. Is that the right way to not, think about this? Or I'm not? not I'm not sure. I mean, I think that the just to, to the the fatigue factor is there's nothing like a bad ad to wear people out, you know, Fair. poor the wrong. And and so you um you know what we what we lean on is frankly, you know, what I spent 20 years learning in the advertising industry, which is how to actually get customer insight, really understand something insightful about the customer, and then turn that into effective marketing. Hmm. And so so we will spend a lot of time early on in the work that we do with our clients on the buyer journey. And and we'll we'll do customer interviews to to get at some, some real grounded insight and use that to build the right level of the right content around it, the right advertising, the right messaging, the right emails, the right SDR scripts, all of that stuff. Now, ABX is interesting about ABX. It's a bit of a, this is going to change the change of subject here because ABX is, it's a little bit confusing, account-based experience. It is a, a, a way that, you know, I think it was, I, I was one of the technology companies, might've been demand-based that came up with it. Um, but the notion is, is that, you know, your relationship with the customer doesn't stop the minute they become a customer. It actually only starts. And so it's about growing that customer base. And so some people think about ABX as what happens after the sale. Other people think about it. It's like, no, it's the entire experience of the relationship. And, and, and frankly, the reason why we call the book Total Customer Growth is it's just it, the, the, the terms become so con- confusing that we want to ground what we do in the most important thing, which is the buyer journey. The you know what the customers go through over these eternally long sales cycles, and what ha- and how you can develop relationships with them that are profitable for life, and that's what total customer growth is about. And, it, and it's about using the principles of ABM to do that. So you know it's the acquisition. Uh, the the uh, we think about it in terms of four phases of what you do phase one is identifying intent so it's being it's working really hard and using all the data that you have available to figure out who seems to be in market now you can't say with 100% precision until you're talking to them but it is is that notion of winnowing down to who seems to be 
the companies that are likely to do business with you. And so it's improving the odds that your marketing is your marketing and your sales are going to be more effective. The second stage is is about engagement. So once you've, you know, and these are dynamic, right? They happen they happen together. They're not actually sequential. But engaging is is like the techniques that you use for engaging. So advertising, content, and the way that you go about doing it. And covered, you know, as I mentioned before, we spend a lot of time. On the on studying the the buyer journey, um, and understanding what the customer needs at what stage of the journey, and having the right type of content and messaging to deliver that. The next stage is about conversion, so it converts. So it's identify intent, engage, convert. So convert is about that transition from having identified accounts and contacts that appear to be in market and then getting them converted and into your sales pipeline. And that, I think one of the most important transition is the transition from marketing to sales and more specifically to the SDRs. I think the SDRs are the linchpin of, uh, of an effective ABM campaign. And we find that we do best when we're at the table with the SDRs and we struggle the most when the SDRs are not, you know, are not engaged as engaged with the program as they should be. So let's talk a little bit about what good looks like yeah. and outcomes, because common statistic, somewhere between 65 and 70 percent of leads generated by marketing are never touched by the sales organization, SDRs and the like. And there's an overpopulation of marketing generated leads that get ignored. And yet we learn through data that in most instances, marketing has at least some of this lead find, right? Because those customers or buyers are in market. Yep. So how does this help sort of bridge the gap between this chasm between things that marketing is doing to generate leads for the funnel and what actually the sales well, function actually picks up and moves forward? It's, what a great question, Mike. I mean, you're really hitting at one of the, one. so one of the toughest things for a company going adopting ABM to get used to is to get off the addiction to lead generation. So we all do this, right? Content syndication and webinars, and they have their role in ABM. Don't get me wrong, but this notion of you know you spend fifty thousand dollars or twenty thousand dollars or whatever with one of the big media companies to guarantee you two hundred or five hundred leads is there's an addiction to that, but most of the leads don't get touched or they get dropped into a, an email sequence. And you know that, right. you know, out of those 500 leads, you might get five meetings, maybe. It's, it's, it's very inefficient. What we find is that the funnel is a lot narrower. And what I mean by that is that, you know, with traditional B2B marketing, you advertise to tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, you know, you get leads from several hundreds and then you, the SDRs are focusing up, focusing on dozens of the or tens to dozens. And you're getting mm -hmm. sort of, you know, a few meetings out of that a week, maybe. The idea with, with ABM and, and what we see day to day is that you're advertising to a smaller group at the, at, to start with, but you're, and you're, you're actually getting potentially fewer leads but those leads are much higher quality and are more likely to lead, lead to a much bigger pipeline. 
and because it's a different it's it's a different process you know you're getting people when they're when they're more interested uh, one of one of uh, my co co-author ben pearson was the chief marketing officer of a company called Novolo and had implemented ABM using the Terminus platform. And what, what he found was that in one of, their set, one of their marketing plays, this is what they did. They, they marketed to these accounts and they would watch these accounts move from sort of somewhat engaged to very engaged. And they, you know, the SDRs wouldn't reach out at that point what they would happen is, is then a few of those that would move to the next stage and, and, and watch a 30-minute demo online. And they would register to do that, right? So they've been engaging. They've been watching them for months. Only when they actually would watch the demo would the SDRs reach out. And so it's, it's about a lot of this is about changing the, the sales behavior to focus on on opportunities with a high with a, with a higher hit rate. So um, I used to talk to clients about this notion I call sales velocity. Yeah, and it's it's a metric, right? You can measure yeah. it. It is the number of leads that are generated times the conversion rate and a, and a number of other things divided by and the time, right? Exactly. And and many of them would look at this sort of formulation and go, this is theoretical. I said, actually not, because what you're doing is pouring most of your resources into the lead gen bucket and you're not looking at the engagement. You're not yep. looking at the, the reducing the time. And what you're describing at the top of the, the, top of the, the concept is how to change the other variables in this to make the spend for marketing and the return on investment for sales a lot more efficient. And it's sales it's- velocity is one of the most important ABM measures. And as somebody who, you know, ran a software business, I can tell you that you can live or die based on sales velocity because if a deal closes one quarter later than you thought it would be, that could be, you know, that could be the di- difference between survival and going out of business. We're talking because, about cash flow, right? right massive, <laughs> massive impact on cash flow. And particularly for SaaS companies, it's a, that's yes. a, a big, big, big deal. Just, I do want to do want to talk about one thing, which is the fourth step in the process is grow. And that's what, you know, a lot of half the book is actually about ways that you grow existing customer relationships. And that's where, you know, I, I have a lot of heart for this because, you know, and again, I'm sort of leaning back on what I, what I learned, which is, you know, I, I was an account guy, a suit, and I lived or die based on, you know, keeping and growing accounts. And I found that I became more successful at that when I um, would invest in account insight. And what I mean by that was we hired an outside consultant fantastic guy called Phil Ash worked for a company called relationship audits. Um, and they would interview our clients and we literally 10 X an account over four years. You know, the, the notion that people sort of 10 X is one of these, frankly, it drives me crazy that term, but it, we literally 10 X this account and the insights that we had about the account that the clients were very happy to tell us about. They wanted us to be successful was what led to that. And so that we spend a lot of time in the book talking about that. And that is, you know, the notion of total customer growth. Again, it's about how you find 
the best fit customers, convert them, and then turn them into profitable customers for life that can actually evangelize your business and, and bring in more customers. And that's what you know we're trying to do is help help our clients develop so a system a, for doing that. There's a concept that I learned a long time ago when I was an account exec who started out in sales. Yeah. We called it parallel account marketing. And it was exactly when I read your book, I said, this is PAM, <laughs> Pam, yeah. dialed up to be modernized and using technology that we were all doing with heavy lifting and manually. Yeah. And there was a methodology to bring insight and understanding to the decision makers and the users in an account to get more share of wallet. And that's what you're talking about. Right. The, the intelligence and the insight will pay dividends. Yeah. Simple things that I used way back in those days when I was wearing a suit, find out what somebody's <laughs> preference was, what somebody's intent was. I had a, a senior executive who was an avid reader. I put him on a book of the month club for the topics of books that he wanted to read. Yeah. And that was a manual process, but it got me an audience with somebody who was a Fortune 500 executive that I would not have gotten otherwise. So, and those those were the days, though, when you would actually could actually reach an executive. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, Today, all, those people are nowhere to be found in, yeah. in that kind of inter and, So we and, have to use. A and everybody's got barriers, right? I mean, and everybody's just, got barriers. Yeah. So it takes a, a level of sophistication that yeah. wasn't there. But this is. This is interesting, and I found it heartfelt because I could recall these days when you were when I was using some of these yeah. methods. We won't talk about how long ago that was. Yeah, oh, you and me both. I, <laughs> well, I, I, I told you, I started in the eighties. <laughs> well, I so did I. So I want to. Yeah. We can share that concept. So I want to shift gears and think about how to bring this back to some of the listeners. You had an interesting concept of where you're targeting. You called it Goldilocks Hospitals. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> is there an optimum size that some company should be to start experimenting, investing in ABM? Is it is there a point at which is too early or too small? What, what's your take on that? What a great question. We were really small. I mean, really, we were actually probably only one of us full time and two of okay. us part time when we were actually doing this. And so we were implementing the philosophy and the principles of ABM without really knowing about it, because a lot of it just makes sense. And we had limited resources, so we had to be really smart with them. And so, you know, I, I think that you can start using the principles of ABM. And in fact, you should start using the principles of ABM from the second you start your company. The interesting thing to me is, is that for bigger companies, that have the wherewithal to spend, you know, several hundred thousand dollars on technology and all the stuff that goes with it. It's actually harder for them in many ways because they've got to change. Well, it's and, back to your addiction habit on lead gen and how the funnel is yeah. defined and a lot of other things that have history. And the, and and the silos, the biggest issue yes. of the silos, right? Because, you know, sales and marketing, both doing great, you know, great things for their companies uh, and uh, have different, you know, measures and expectations. And while they might get on well together, the way that they work is not integrated, is not, is, is often usually not well integrated. And so you have a workflow which doesn't support ABM. And that's the challenge is actually breaking that. And that's where the SDRs is a problem, right? Because, right. you know, there's a big debate about is should the SDRs live in sales or marketing? Right. So my partner, my my co-author Ben, passionately believes they should they should sit should should uh, should sit in marketing 
for the reasons that we, we talked about earlier on. Let's do a little hypothetical. You're, you're the, I'm going to give you a, a broad remit, a broad title. You're the combination of CRO and CMO for a mid-market company, yep. enterprise-focused company. Like a chief growth officer, right? Exactly, yep. exactly. And you get the bug that ABM is the way to go. From where you're sitting, your experience, understanding the technology, how would you start that journey? First of all, find the army of the willing. <laughs> so you've okay. got to find a small group of people. It's usually a small group of people who are into it. And they've got to be, it's got to be across disciplines. So, you know, I, I think the trifecta is marketing sales and customer success. That may be overly ambitious for a pilot, but great if you can do it. And you must include SDRs in that, whether they sit in sales or marketing. So that sort of start with the army of the willing. Have a realistic expectation that what you can achieve in a relatively short period of time, like, you know, 120 days, is going to be very limited. It is not going to be transformative. It may just be a signal that this is worth continuing to do. And then, you know, give them a problem um, to, to solve a marketing problem to solve. Like it may be, for example, it may be as simple as, you know, improve the way that we select accounts. You know, that would be a great thing mm -hmm. for a, a, triumvir a triumvirate of sales, marketing and customer success to work on, right? That would be a, a you know, a, a, good, a good, good place to start. And so, you know, start with, with, with something simple like that and then find somebody within that team who can help, create a longer vision because you know we 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 have a notion that there's a notion in abm called that it's actually it's, it's used everywhere right which is crawl walk run we put a spin on it which is we call it think crawl walk run because we believe it's important to actually document the strategy that you do before you get going but you know the key thing is is to start with something a crawl start with a small measurable pilot with a view that you're going to scale it up so we're working with one company where a year ago we did a pilot within one of their divisions, which was successful. Um, and then, and one of the key measures of success actually was that we got the SDRs using intent data and it worked very well for them. And they now, you can't take it away from them. It's where they start their day. And then this year, what we're doing is for that whole division, we're basically implement, helping them implement ABM uh, at, a, at a greater scale. The rest of the organization is looking at implementing ABM system-wide, and that's probably going to take them another two or three years to, to really get there. But, they, but they've, they've clearly got that, that vision, and they started with a, a pilot for 120 days. Now they've got a year-long plan to scale it out across one division in a really systematic way. And then meanwhile, you know, they, they've got a long-term plan of, of, of deploying it across the rest of the organization. Giving your implementation methodology, is this a two-year journey, three-year journey? Before before we see oh, I, before I we think, see impact and results. Oh, oh, we in, impact in, and results. Uh, impact. Well, so impact's incremental, right? So yes. Um, I, I, one of uh, really good friends, uh, a friend of mine called Kelly McDermott, who is the chief marketing officer of a company called Cagility, uh, that she implemented started implementing ABM about three years ago and started and saw some good results early on. And after a year, the CEO was actually pointing at the work that they were doing as having a direct impact on the success of the company. 
at a very because you know she's really smart about measuring the impact and so within a year they could point at a direct contribution of that effort and so they then scaled it up and so it it took it took them 3 years to get to the point where they're actually they've scaled that up across the organization and i think they're in they're either in year 3 or 4 now what they're actually doing is the the the, the third part the grow part which is mm-hmm. using the principles of abm to increase the, their success and their and their growth with their existing customers okay so adam You've got a lot of energy and passion. <laughs> do. Where do you where do you get that from? Who do you turn to for inspiration? Inside the industry, outside the industry, it doesn't matter. I'm just curious how what do you do to fuel yourself and keep yourself going? And if it's, oh, it's other true. people it's, or it's, other it's, ideas. It's other well, it's other people. Can you share I, some names with us? Are these oh, individuals yeah, I mean, well, famous individuals or people no, that are in your it's, it's not it's it's all well it, it's two communities really. I mean well it's three communities. Um, you know, f- first of all, it's my community of people that I work with, Paul and Justin and Hannah and, and Karen and, you know, the, the folks like that and, and who, who've been working, working together now for three or four years. And when I see them sort of get, contribute to this, say, no, 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 no. Like my, another colleague, Bob, uh, uh, is right, saying, no, we've, we're missing a bit. That means a lot. I love it when people tell me, no, you're doing it wrong. This is how you need to do it. Because that means they, they, they've got a sense of ownership. And that's, I mean, that, that's like rocket fuel for me. Um, then, then there's two communities. Well, there's a community of health tech people, uh, that many of whom I've known for 10 years or, so, or more, and others I've got to know in the last three years. You know, I, I just love talking to them and, you know, just catching up with them. And then the third is I'm, I'm starting to get more connected to ABM, the ABM community. And I'm meeting some really great people through that. So it's, it's just great people and sharing ideas and a lot of it done virtually. So I think that's my, that's where my passion is conversations like this, frankly. (laughs) Well, with that in mind, I I just love to say, this has been a great conversation. I've enjoyed it. And I would also (laughs) give you an open invitation, if you will, please come back. I'd love to continue this dialogue. With you. I would love to do that, Mike. Okay. Absolutely. I really, yeah. really appreciate you joining us today. If someone wants to reach out to you, connect to you, how would you recommend they do that? So LinkedIn, there's only one Adam Chirinas, T-U-R-I-N-A-S, or Adam at healthlaunchpad.com, Adam at healthlaunchpad.com. Adam, really appreciate you joining us. It's been a pleasure. To our listeners, I want to thank you for your thoughts and ideas about how to improve this podcast. We really appreciate that input. Keep sending it to us. And just remember to like us, download us, review us on your favorite platform. This has been Go to Market Disrupted. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Egress Solutions, head on over to www.egresssolutions.net.